0: everyone. Welcome to NGI's Hub and Flow podcast. I'm Chris Lenton. It's Friday, May 28th. And today we're lucky to be joined by Lourdes Melgar. Lourdes is currently a non-resident fellow at the Center for Energy Studies at the Baker Institute and research affiliate at the Center for Collective Intelligence at MIT. Welcome, Lourdes.
1: Hi, how are you? Good afternoon, everyone.
0: Thank you very much for being with us. So there's really a ton going on in energy this week and in Mexico with the elections coming up, so much to talk about, but why don't we start by talking about the Mexico elections and, and what's at stake from an energy perspective. Analysts have sort of said that if, if Morena were to win a supermajority in the lower house, which would mean a supermajority in both houses of Congress, that López Obrador would be essentially able to do whatever he wanted to do in his final three years. What's your take in terms of what's at stake for energy here?
1: The uh, June 6th elections are going to be critical for the political landscape in Mexico. It's not only that we are electing the lower chamber, 500 people, but it's also that we are renovating Congresses the local level in, in, the, in the 32 states. And also we are voting for governors in several states. So it's really a, a critical election and it's a huge election By in terms of a midterm election. Usually there are smaller elections. But what does it mean in terms of the energy sector? Well, as you know, President López Obrador presented two new laws that basically overturned in a big part the energy reform of, of 2013. He has an issue, uh, well, Congress voted and the president issued a new electricity industry law in, in, in March, at the end of March, and in April they approved a new hydrocarbon law that basically blocks the development of a competitive market in the mid and downstreams. So, The issue right now is that these two laws have been stopped from implementation because of a series of amparos, which are basically legal injunctions. And the president has vouched that if he gets the constitutional majority, he's going to pass a constitutional uh, change in the energy sector and basically overturn the 2013 constitutional reform that we had in Mexico.
0: At which stage those amparos would no longer mean anything?
1: Well, yeah, at which stage, basically, he would be defining a new new framework. And I think your question is very good, because where are the constitutional issues? Well, one has to do with issues related to competition. In the um, energy reform of 2013, we establish a, a model that is based on competitive markets, in a competitive electricity market and a competitive produce market. Well, he can change that at the constitutional level and then issue again the laws that he already passed and we would be going back basically to two monopolies, one in the hydrocarbons and the other one in the electricity sector.
0: So so in that sense, I mean it's absolutely one of the most important elections in in, in recent memory. Traditionally, in in uh, at least in the energy sector, traditionally, the opposition tends to gain ground in the midterm election. Do you see that happening, Lourdes?
1: You're correct about that. Let me let me just. Complete my, my thought about the previous answer and then get to this, this question. It's also important to note that the other reason why the uh, reform laws have been challenged are on environmental and health grounds. Um, the Constitution establishes that Mexicans have the right, we all have the right for health and for a healthy environment. And of course, the laws that have been approved do not comply with environmental or climate change commitments and laws that Mexico has, and therefore, that's another issue where we have seen a stall, you know, stalling the energy transition. Now, going to the question about the results, the upcoming results, it's going to be an election in which if everybody goes out and votes, you know, people usually stay home if they really go out and vote. I think there will be a challenge to Morena not strong enough to overturn their simple majority in the lower house, but they certainly are not likely to have the supermajority that they have right now in the lower lower house. And also, a few months ago, when the uh, electoral process started, it seemed that they were going to have a landslide victory in different states. Now what we are seeing is a much more competitive elections at the local level, and this is very important because in Mexico, to approve a constitutional change, you not only need to have two-thirds of the votes in the Senate and in the chambers of deputy, but you also need to pass the reform in at least 17 states, and so Morena needs to have the majority of at least 17 congresses, and so it's going to be very important that everybody goes out and vote.
0: Yeah. Well speaking of that the outlook for the pandemic seems a little bit better and i've I've heard pollsters talking about you know the fact that they're expecting fifty percent or more to vote so is that your sense as well that turnout is going to be high
1: I think turnout is going to be high and I think that's going to be a surprise by the way we usually vote in, in midterm elections and I think part of the reason why the election will be high is I think we're going to see a lot of young voters coming out and vote.
0: Mm. That's very interesting. I'm, this, uh, as you might know, I'm, I'm based in Chile where we're in the process of writing a new constitution and there's a president who who seems more intent sort of on impressing the international sort of arena than impressing people here in Chile. We're seeing seeing something very similar in in Colombia with Ivan Duque. In Mexico, you have a president who doesn't even seem to think that the rest of the world sort of exists. He's entirely focused on Mexico and that sort of plays into his sort of energy nationalism and, and, and everything else. His popularity is is extremely high. Why is that?
1: Well, I I, I think you're absolutely right. Our president couldn't care less about anything that happens outside Mexico, or very little, to put it mildly. And he also wants to have a new constitution, not just on energy matters, but he wants to have what he calls a moral constitution. I think the president has been very good at two things. The first one is he's very political. This is a, a man who has politics in his vein, everything he does has a political reason. And he has a narrative and a way to address people that really connects with many Mexicans, and especially with those Mexicans that have been left out from uh, the process of development that Mexico had, particularly over the past 20 years. And so... You know, even if there have been issues where his government has really failed, he always manages to come back and connect with people. And one of the reasons he has connected with the lower middle class and the poorer communities is because he does give a lot of uh, giveaways, you know. He has a program to support the elderly. He has a program to support the young and unemployed who are neither studying nor working. He has a program. So he made a commitment to have these programs, and he destroyed all the institutionalized programs that existed, and now he's providing these programs as the goodwill of the president and and that has been working in his favor up to now.
0: Mm. And you know one of one of the central parts of his of his political program has been nationalism and energy nationalism and this idea of energy sovereignty to go back to what you were talking about beforehand this has been a very key week in terms of energy transition with with three of the biggest oil companies in the world sort of showing signs of of things to come and at the same time we you know we see that, that Shell uh, sold a, uh, its share of the Deer Park refinery to uh, to Pemex. Is Deer Park sort of a fortuitousness on, on the part of Pemex or is this part of a, a careful strategy and is it, is it the right strategy?
1: Okay, it is part of a, of a well-thought strategy. Uh, the president has committed to make sure that we Mexicans only consume Mexican gasoline. And so one of his key projects, he has three big projects, and one of them is building a new refinery, which his building in his home state, Tabasco, Los Bocas Refinery. And we have six other refineries that were not designed to process heavy crude, and we produce mostly heavy crude. And we had already a joint venture with Shell in Deer Park. Mm. And basically, he took the opportunity of buying the other 50%, of a refinery, which is up to now has been the best refinery that Pemex has, even if it only had 50% of it. Because in the refining process, the refinery does get margins, but more importantly, for every barrel it refines, it only gets 2% or less of fuel oil, whereas Mexican refineries get on average 30% of fuel oil for every single barrel that they that they process and this fuel oil um, has a high content of sulfur and doesn't have a market these days so for the president i think they're not looking at a lot of the details of issues challenging issues that pemex will have to solve it's you know a great announcement prior to the election and i think he's already setting the ground for what will come in part of the 2024 election in terms of saying you know I committed to building a new refinery. I committing to making sure that Mexicans were consuming Mexican gasoline at low prices. And he's going to do anything that is in his hands to comply with that. And of course, the issue is that since he doesn't look at what is going on outside of Mexico and the implications for Mexico, he doesn't care about climate change. He doesn't care about accelerating the energy transition to the country. Mexico is burning fuel oil these days instead of generating with its renewable plants. And that will be an issue for, for whomever comes thereafter, but I think also for, for Mexicans in the short and middle term.
0: Yeah, well, let, let's shift a little bit to to natural gas. So, 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 Amlo, the, the president, talks about energy sovereignty and energy self sufficiency, and you know, perhaps the Deer Park refinery and Dos Bocas will will allow Mexico to get a little bit closer to that. But in terms of natural gas, it doesn't seem that there's any way that that could be accomplished. I mean, Pemex is not introduced, is not producing anymore, and, and doesn't really make any money from gas. There are no bid rounds. How would López Obrador go about self-sufficiency in natural gas?
1: The way he would go about it is not caring about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what what I want to say is natural gas has not been a priority for this government. Actually, one of the uh, things that the prior administration did was to develop all the infrastructure, pipeline infrastructure, to be able to import cheap, natural gas from the US particularly from Texas and we were getting natural gas at very competitive rates because as you said Pemex production has been declining and Pemex only produces for really for what it needs in its uh, activities in its processes and uh, Lopez Obrador administration stopped all the bids for developing both conventional and unconventional natural gas resources in Mexico but there is something interesting that happened recently with the uh, snowstorm that we saw in Texas about, what was it, about two months ago or a little yeah, bit less. Right. Mm. Which is that for the first time, I think the government realized that the challenge about not having natural gas security, or at least not having available natural gas, is not only an issue for the electricity sector, uh, but it's mostly an issue for Mexican industry and that mm-hmm. this really puts at risk the competitiveness of Mexico. And I think the president does value the competitiveness of Mexican industry as a you know, manufacturing hub that can export to the world. Mm-hmm. So thus far, we really haven't seen a change in strategy, but there are already some talks about things like uh, increasing storage, like maybe yeah. going back to some of the plans that Sena gas had about building, you know, strategic reserves. You know, I think it's not a central part of the conversation, mm-hmm. but it certainly could begin to become part of a conversation.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, sticking to the natural gas theme, what, what would you see changing in, in the natural gas market if, for example, Moreno was able to, to secure that supermajority?
1: It's hard for me to speculate because I could get to something really absurd, like saying, you know, we're not going to import any more natural gas from the U.S., but they would really hurt the Mexican economy. And I think that's one of the things that the president has really been trying to ensure the macroeconomic numbers look good and that, you know, he can claim that he's generating employment. So. I, I don't think that they would really go against it. In terms of the natural gas contracts, already at the beginning of his administration, we saw the renegotiation of the long-term contracts, that uh, transportation contracts for importing natural gas, and he already claimed victory to that. So I don't hmm. think we would see much of a change in that. What could be interesting is if somebody in Morena comes up with an idea of, you know, taking resource nationalism to natural gas and either creating instead of a Pemex, Pemex is Petroleos Mexicanos, maybe Gas Mexicanos, and creating a company that will try to develop the uh, conventional natural gas resources. And I say the conventional because the president has banned fracking. It's Mm. interesting, fracking, he has banned it in the rhetoric. It's not banned by law. It's not in the law. But at least in the short term, let's say over the next three years, I don't see much happening in terms of the dynamic natural gas market in Mexico. I think things will stay as they are. They will make sure that they continue to work. The government has supported this idea of having a LNG plants that can export to Asia, the, the Costa Azul project that Sempra, well, Yenova Sempra have uh, in, in, in Baja. But, you know, all of these are still projects that we will need to see the details of it. And things could change in three years when the new administration comes to, uh, you know, to govern.
0: Yeah, well, it's obviously... Very, very interesting times over there, Lord. This. What's your take? You gave us a sense beforehand, but what's your take of what's, of what's going to happen on June 6th?
1: I think the president will be disappointed by the results. It doesn't matter if he loses a little or much, he's going to claim that there was fraud. He has al- already tried to undermine the uh, National Electoral Institute, which is the authority that oversees the elections. So I think we're going to see some of that. That's been his his take throughout his life. I think we might see violence in some parts of Mexico, not not in Mexico City, but certainly in some regions. We already have had a very violent electoral process, where eighty eight candidates have been killed.
0: Oh, so hard to fathom. That's terrible.
1: Yeah, because we are electing municipality. I mean, we we have a huge election. We never had. Except for presidential election, we never had such a big election uh, at the midterm. So it's been terrible. But I think uh, I hope that we are able to find a way to limit the violence, to limit the the rhetoric and, (laughs) and, and move on. I'm not sure of that because I think the president really wants to deepen his, you know, what he calls his fourth, the fourth transformation of Mexico. Mm -hmm. He really wants to speed up the implementation of all these changes. And I think his view is already on the 2024 election. In Mexico, we do not have re-election. It is banned by the constitution and by our history, Mm -hmm. but there are concerns about whether or not the president wants to stay in office or at least to lengthen his period. In office, and I think this this could create a lot of political chaos here in Mexico.
0: Well, let's hope that that chaos doesn't occur. Lourdes, thank you so much for your time and for your your expertise, and I look forward to connecting again in the future.
1: Thank you very much for the opportunity to to talk with you about these issues and with your audience as well.
0: Great, thanks.